If you're new this morning, you're probably wondering, what kind of church is this? And we give you permission to go ahead and head out now if you want. Uh, No, if you are in middle school, uh, you can head out the back door. We've got a group that's going to be meeting during this time. Uh, Welcome to you. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We'll land there in just a few minutes. We're starting a brand new series at Genesis today, as you can read, called Five Easy Steps. Uh, to wreck your life. And I know lots of anticipation uh, coming with it. I've been listening to a series of messages uh, from a pastor as he's preached through uh, this similar series. It's been very encouraging to me, and believe it or not, and, and I look forward to sharing with you and, and some others that you'll hear from with us over the next few weeks. The truth is that there are a number of, way, of ways to wreck your life. Yes, it is very true. For example, you can choose to stick your tongue to an icy flagpole in the middle of January and suffer the consequences uh, because of it. Uh, You could go swimming in the Gulf with tar balls and uh, enjoy some of the effects of that. Uh, You can ride your bike on I-465 blindfolded uh, at 5 o'clock on any given weekday afternoon. And again, uh, it could be a little challenging to you. Or you can try what this guy did. Uh, I don't know if you saw this on America's Funniest Home Videos or not. This is exactly why we have a student ministry and why we're committed to student ministry from this point forward. And if any of you go home and try this, we will pretend like we've never met you before, that we don't know you, and we will take no responsibility uh, for the consequences of, of such a choice. But uh, we're talking about five easy steps to wreck your life. Putting on a dog collar that shocks could do just that. Uh, but on a serious note, over, over the next weeks, we're going to look at several ways uh, that you can mess up your life. That, that if you don't pay attention to some of the decisions and choices and habits, uh, you, you can head down a road that could ultimately wreck your life. And we're going to talk about dependency and addictions and some of the things that we talk about there might surprise you a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about overall disappointment with life and when we get caught up into that type of an attitude, what it can do to us. And we're going to talk about what happens when you don't pay attention to your marriage. Uh, when you don't look to incorporate some healthy habits or pay careful attention uh, to your marriage and what can result from that. And then we'll wrap up this series, the middle of June, with Dr. Tim Gardner. Uh, he was here with us last year. Great speaker, marriage therapist. Uh, be a very entertaining morning. He, he's, a, he's a great guy, and I look forward to sharing that with you. But the reality is this. If you don't pay attention to the details of your life, if you don't manage the condition of your heart, life can spin out of control. I mean, you, you can wreck. I mean, and today we're going to talk about faith and we're going to talk w- about what happens when we lose sight of the fact that we may be drifting from God, that it's easy to drift from God. And if you drift from God, it can ruin your life. But I want to start this morning by a- asking a question, uh, just a question that, that you can respond to. And I just want you to be absolutely honest uh, in your response and your heart to this particular question. And here it is. Was there... Or has there ever been a time in your life when you felt closer to God than you do right now? Okay, let me let me let me say it like this. Was there or were you ever closer to God at another time or another season in your life than maybe you are right now? I mean, for example, maybe there was a time in your life when you were a little bit more passionate about some of the things of God. I mean, you spent more time reading your Bible. And in that particular season of your life, you just couldn't wait to read your Bible every day. And I mean, you'd jump out of bed and you'd get your Bible and you read it and you look forward to how God was going to speak to you and encourage you on that particular day. 
Or, or maybe there was a season in your life where you were very excited about being at church. I mean, you just couldn't wait for Sunday to roll around. And you were the first one there. You were so excited about what God was doing in your life. And, and you weren't ashamed to tell anyone about it. You just knew it was happening. Or maybe there was a season in your life where you were praying like crazy for something or for someone. You know, and your faith was increasing and you couldn't wait to pray because you knew that when you prayed, God was listening and you felt it and you sensed it and God was answering your prayers. Or maybe it happened after a particular sermon or a sermon series or a, a worship service or, or maybe a conference that you attended or a retreat. You know, maybe after you were baptized or something. We all go through these seasons. We have these moments in our life where we feel closer to God than others. Was there a time for you when you felt closer to God than you do right now? I think there's a good chance we, we all have a story like that. We've, we've got these moments, these, these seasons or these spiritual highs, you know, and, and you're cruising along and you're going at a great pace and you're enjoying the work that God is doing inside of you. And then one day, for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, the passion just died out and it was gone. You know, and these, these great flames that were there in your life, this great passion for God and for more of God, it was extinguished and... And I mean, today, and, and maybe you just even find yourself at a place right now where you know that you have a relationship with God. But you know that it's been greater. And there's been a season that is unlike this one now. You've, you've been closer. You've been closer to God, much closer than you are right now. We got any pickup truck drivers in the room? Who drives a pickup around the room here? Okay, we've got, we've got a few around the room. Okay, for you pickup truck drivers, and I'm, I'm assuming men, but please don't throw anything at me if you're a woman and you drive a pickup. It's totally fine. But I, I'm going to suppose for some of you, and, and maybe if you had a truck when you were a teenager or in college, that there was a point in your life when you were dating someone and that special someone, that sweetie, she didn't sit all the way over on the side by the passenger door. She came and sat right up in the middle and snuggled up right next to you. All right? Anybody in the room? We got anybody that's willing to admit to this? Dave Dawson, I'm waiting for you to raise your hand because you've got this written all over you. All right? All right? I, I mean, I, I, I just, I always looked up to those guys that had a pickup truck. You know, I wanted that. I, I, with our minivan, I try and get my wife to come over in the middle, but, you know, there's not a seat there. And, but, it, you know, it just doesn't happen. All right? But uh, anyway, there was a story told of this man and this woman, and they were dating in high school and college. She had a pickup truck, and just as you would expect, she didn't sit all the way over by the passenger door. She came all the way into the middle and snuggled up next to her sweetie, and, you know, they drive down the road together. And, well, life happened. They got married. Twenty years later, she's sitting all the way over by the passenger door, and she looks over at him one day and said, what happened to us? I mean... What's happened? I used to be all the way over in the middle there, right next to you. And he looked at her straight in the eyes and he said, I didn't move. I didn't move. You know, I'm in the same seat. You were the one that moved to the right. You know, if, if there was a point in your life when you felt closer to God than you do right now and you notice this, hear this truth. God didn't move. God never moved. And this morning I want to talk with you about, it's cute, but five easy steps to, to lose your faith, to drift from God. And, and I want to start off this morning by kind of sharing with you some good news. But it, it's a little ironic because it's good news, but sort of good news. 
It's this, if you have ever drifted from God, and I have, the good news is this, it's easy to drift from God. It is quite easy to drift from God, and and that's the good news. And there's a reason for this, and, and the reason really has a name. It's Satan. You know, Satan is the reason. Satan wants to wreck your life. I mean, we are 100% supporters and communicators of teaching about God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and how Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And we are 100% in, in acknowledging that there is an enemy out there, and his name is Satan. And Satan wants to wreck, and he wants to ruin your life. That's his role. He is your spiritual enemy. He is the great deceiver. He's the father of lies. And if you're taking notes and you want to follow along and write this down, you can write that Satan wants to destroy your faith. You know, Satan wants to destroy your life. His mission, his role is to destroy your faith. And from the very beginning, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden to encounter this first interaction between Adam and Eve and the serpent, the serpent, Satan in disguise, had a question for them and he asked Adam and Eve straight, do, do you really believe God when he says? I mean, in that moment, in that particular instance, he was questioning and weakening the authority of God. Satan wanted to destroy the faith of Adam and Eve. He wants to destroy your faith. and He wants to destroy my faith too. And, and this concerned the Apostle Paul. Paul had a deep concern for the believers, for the people in the church at Corinth. And here's what he wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I mean, Paul, I guess in some ways, is describing this drift. You know, I mean, if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, hear this this morning and and hear this, this plainly. You know, you will drift. There are going to be times, there are going to be moments in your life, and it may not seem real right now, but you're going to drift. There's a tendency in every single one of us to drift. The temptation, when that happens, will be to say things like, well, I guess God isn't all that he was cracked up to be, or I guess this wasn't completely true, or I gave gave in to this lie or something. And, And the drift doesn't just affect new believers either. I mean, it's for anyone who knows Christ. We are prone to drift. You know, and I fear this for my life and faith. I fear this for you too. It's easy to drift from God. And the danger is that the drift is gradual. And it often goes unnoticed for some time until one day we look back and see how far it is we've drifted. If you've got your Bibles, let's look at Matthew chapter 13 together this morning. I want you to see that God has a plan for your life. He's got a great dream for your life and what your life should look like. You know, something for you and me, again, for our faith here in Matthew 13. Now, this this chapter, these words that Jesus shares are full of great wisdom and great truth. You know, as Jesus describes what a, what a Christian life, what a followers of Jesus' life should look like. And in Matthew 13, Jesus starts telling this parable. Now, we've talked about parables here before, but just as a reminder, parables are short stories that use familiar scenes and everyday objects and everyday relationships to help teach spiritual truths. And so they weren't necessarily true stories, but very believable stories. I mean, the listeners were able to say, yes, I understand what you're saying. I can picture that in my mind. That makes sense. And Jesus told these to get a point across. Well, in this particular parable, in Matthew chapter 13, there's a crowd. Jesus is about to teach this story, and he's teaching this story about a farmer. He's teaching this story about seed, and he's teaching this story about 
about soil. Now, this is an agrarian society. So as they hear this, they're picturing in their minds everything that Jesus is saying. Like, I get this. I can see the picture. I know what it is that you're talking about, this parable. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus says, or then it says, then he told them many things in parables. And I just have to stop there and say, you know, like if you were one of his apostles, Probably, maybe, I wonder if you ever got tired of the parable thing. You know, it's like, oh, here we go again. Here's another one of Jesus' stories, but, but a good one, all right? So Jesus is telling this story, and here's where he starts off. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Now, in these ancient times, farmers didn't have big John Deere tractors and planters and combines and all that. I mean, they planted their fields by walking out in the fields, and they'd carry this bag over their shoulder, and the bag was full of seed, and they'd just go about and they'd just scatter the seed. They'd reach into the bag, they'd grab a handful of seed, and they'd throw it, and they'd turn another direction, and they'd throw some more, and they'd turn another direction and throw some more, and they'd do this as they walked. Now, at this time, the soil wasn't prepared in advance like we prepare, well, not like I ever have, but like people prepare soil today, you know, for farming. You know, the plants didn't grow in neat rows like they do today. And no matter how skillful the farmer was at scattering seed, no farmer could keep some seed from landing on the path nearby or falling into the rocks or into the thorns or even being blown away by the wind. And so because of this, the farmer would scatter seed liberally hoping that some or most of it would fall on good soil and then yield a crop. And that's important. And that's important for this story because the yield or the final product depended on the condition of the soil where the seed had landed. Now, conditions varied in Palestine. It wasn't uncommon for for a farmer to have a plot of land that was full of some great soil, but some very poor quality soil too. And so uh, let's carry on. Verse 4. Jesus tells the story, as, this, as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and then the birds came and ate it up. Now, these walking paths uh, in Palestine at this time weren't orderly. You know, like if you go out in the country today, all right, just drive north of here a little bit, get out into the country, get out on one of the backwards. Everything's in a right angle, all right? I mean, everything's just perfectly laid out. Well, here, walking paths or roads just went right through the middle of a farmer's field. So you might be growing something on one side of the road and growing something on the other side of the path at the same time. And so as the sower is scattering seed, it's quite likely that some of the seed is landing on the path. And the compact conditions of this particular path would make it impossible for any seed to penetrate the ground and be able to grow and so some seed fell on the path and so it sat on top as jesus tells the story and then what happens birds would just come along and they would eat it verse five some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came up the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root and so some of the seed as jesus describes falls on rocky soil now this ground had some soil to accept the seed but not much And in this shallow soil, you know, a seed would spring up very quickly, but because of the rocks and because of various things choking out all of this new growth, it would have been impossible or unlikely for a seed to receive the proper nourishment, uh, moisture, or sunlight that it needs, and that the sun would just eventually scorch the growth of of anything. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Now, no farmer would intentionally plant thorns in their field. Or at the same time, no farmer would intentionally throw seed to where they knew where these thorns were located, but you could bet they were present. And sometimes they get underneath and they get into the soil where you can't see them. And thorns rob the sprout 
of proper nutrition and nourishment and water and sunlight and space. And, and so when the, thuns, the thorns grew, you know, they choked the seed and all the new growth to where there could be no maturity at all. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, Jesus here, he calls this good soil. It was perfect soil, and it's right there. I mean, it's in this field. You know, and this soil is is ready to receive the seed that's being sown. I mean, it's perfect space, the, the, the right place to receive moisture and sunlight. I mean, this type of soil, according to Jesus, was capable of producing a harvest 30, 60, or 90 times or even more, a hundred, than what had been sown. Now, in Palestine, eight times the, har- the, eight times the seed sown what was, was a great year. That was a great harvest. 30, 60, or 90, or a hundred, unimaginable, unheard of. And, and so Jesus is telling this parable, he's telling this story to a group of people who needed to understand what it meant to have a growing relationship with God. And here is basically what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying, hey, I'm like the sower in the story. And I come along and I scattered seed. My, my Father in heaven, we scatter seed. We throw it out there and we make it available. You know, we give you opportunities to grow. We give you opportunities to know. We give you opportunities to love and, and to be encouraged. You know, God, Jesus, I, uh, we, we scatter the seed. You know, he's the sower. And then it's almost as if Jesus is saying, now every one of you listen up for a second. There were four different kinds of soil present in this particular story. And one of these soils represents your life. One of these soils represents the condition of your heart. And it's the condition of your heart that will determine the work of the seed in your life. Now, if you skip over to verse 18, Jesus begins to kind of unpack the parable to explain it a little bit more. And as we read through these explanations... I'm wondering if this morning you might find yourself in one of these categories. Because Jesus is describing, you know, not four types of dirt, but four types of people, four conditions of the heart. And one of these conditions might represent your life. Why don't you see for yourself if you can figure out maybe which one pertains to you. Jesus begins to explain this. Verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed along the path. And so Jesus is explaining this parable to them. He says, okay, first type of dirt. All right, first type of people here. Is this you? The first seed fell on the soil that was really compacted onto this particular road or path. And the truth is that this describes some of you here today. It describes some people today, you know, because today, you know, I am sort of like the sower. And part of my responsibility as pastor, one of the pastors and teacher here is to just kind of sow seeds, you know, to open up God's word with you and share truth. But it's up to you to decide what you want to do with that, you know. And so I'm kind of scattering it out there. And instead of taking it, you know, instead of embracing it and allowing it to work in your life, some of you are like, come on, do something funny. All right, tell that one joke that you told that we've heard a couple of times now. Tell that for a third time again, you know, so we can, you know, hear that again. Or show a movie clip or, you know, show something off of YouTube again. You know, I mean, again, there's a time and a place for all that. But you might listen, but you will choose to not understand or to embrace this. And so it's kind of like seeds that almost fall on the path 
and birds will really just come and snatch it away. Or what, what Jesus is really describing was Satan, that Satan will just come and he'll snatch that away so that it does nothing in us. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he only, it lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So second type of soil, second group of people is this you. This is the group where trials come, you know, when persecution comes. And then any work that maybe God is beginning inside of you is completely evaporated. It's taken away. And so life gets out of hand one day and all of a sudden you discover that you've lost your job. You know, and the reality of that hits you square in the face or, or you have to file for bankruptcy or you receive the divorce papers and you don't see those coming or the engine goes out of the minivan or something like that. You know, and, and so the trials and the challenges of life hit you and let's just say this, it's easy to fall away, isn't it? It's easy to get discouraged and, and if you're new to this and, and if the roots of, of, of your life and your faith aren't deep, it, it's easy to lose sight, it's easy to lose faith and, and some of you receive God's word and you receive God's truth and you had some great intentions but then life just kind of happened. And unfortunately for you, and you know this, you know, there's just little evidence of change or growth inside of you. You know, no roots, you know, and little foundation. Verse 22, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. And so we've got a third type of soil, a third group of people is this you. You know, and I would say that this is probably the group that would make up the most of us today. And I've been in and out of this group. All right. But there's a motivation. You know, there are roots there. They're present. You've got some years invested into all of this. But as you go and as you do life, well, life just kind of happens. You know, again, it just starts happening. And so you don't mean to miss it. You don't mean to lose it. But but we go from there. And so you don't try and drift, but you go off to school. You know, and you get into that regular routine of taking classes and exams and, and the clubs and all that. And so before you realize it, you just got, you kind of push God to the side, whether you do it intentionally or not. But, but there's just something that, that's taken a majority of time. Or, or you go out and buy a house. You know, you've never had a house before. You're so excited you buy a house and there's the painting that needs to be done and there's the yard work that needs to be done and you're working and you come home and you're ripping up carpet and you're trying to do all these things up at your house and, and you don't mean to. But before you realize it, you've just kind of pushed God off to the side because it's a busy season and, and something that you're trying to get through. Or, or because a particular relationship is important to you and you want to make it work and you're in love, you're willing to compromise some of the values of your life because you want to see this thing happen. You know, you, you want to see this thing make it. Or, or you get married and, you know, you get married and you're like, wow. I mean, this is awesome. And then like two months later, you're like, whoa, I mean, this isn't what they told us about, you know, I mean, and it's learning to live together. And, you know, what have I gotten myself into? Or, or you have kids and, you know, kids are great, you know, and you love them. But, but again, they take so much time. And so you're putting God to the side or your kids are involved in like 27 different things every week. And so it's go, 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 go as a family all the time. And life happens. Or, or maybe you're sold out to keeping up with the Joneses. And so you need this car and you need this house. And, and, and you're trying to maintain a lifestyle. But all of a sudden, you know, in the regular routine of life, all of these distractions just start choking out any of the work that God has or wants to do in you. And so you didn't plan to drift from God, but it just sort of happened. Verse 23, Jesus describes a, a final type of soil. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it 
he produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, I want to stop here and say that this type of soil, this type of condition of the heart that Jesus is describing is not an automatic for followers of Jesus, for you and I. I mean, it's something you have to work at. But Jesus describes a fourth type of soil, a fourth group. I mean, is this you? This, this is God's desire for us. I mean, this is God's dream for every single one of us, you know. And as your pastor, you know, not only is it the desire for my life, but it's my desire for you. I mean, this is what God wants for our lives. This type of soil is capable of producing an unimaginable harvest. And that's exactly what can happen in your life if you would give God permission to do so. I mean, God is capable of doing more in you and in your life more than you and I could ever imagine. I mean, he's capable of doing an extraordinary work in your heart if you will simply prepare yourself to receive what it is that he has to say. And not only will your life be changed, but here's a great thing about that type of work that God does inside of us when we're ready to receive it. That not only will you be changed, but people around you will be changed. Your, your school will change. The place where you work, your neighborhood, your family will be changed generations of people that come after you, their lives will be radically altered forever in eternity because you were willing and you allowed God's truth to penetrate your heart and do a work that only He could do inside of you. I mean, it's only put there by God. But unfortunately, of each of these types of life or this soil or this dirt as Jesus described, I think it's fair to say as brutal of a truth that it is, that the fourth type is the least common life. Because it's not an automatic. I mean, we have to work at it. We have to continually prepare our hearts, the soil of our life, to receive the work that God wants to do inside of us. And we have good intentions, but unfortunately we drift. And often without noticing one of the things that I've always enjoyed doing during the summer is taking a vacation. Growing up, we tried as a family, uh, my parents, uh, to get to the beach as often as possible. And I enjoy going with my kids to the beach now. And uh, it's kind of fun on a really rough day to get out into the water a little bit with a, a raft or an inner tube or something and just try and wa- ride or survive the waves or something. But I'm always a little leery getting in the water. Like I get out far enough, but not so far that I can't kind of get back, you know, if I need to real quick. But if you've ever ridden the waves before, uh, you'll notice that if you stick with it, it's kind of easy to lose sight. And if you keep going and it's 30 minutes or an hour, it's interesting to know how you drift. You know, that the particular place, because of the current in the water, I mean, you might start out in location one, but end up a good ways down the beach, you know, if you let yourself because of this drift, this gradual drift that takes place. Some of you don't realize it. Maybe you're thinking about it here this morning. But when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, you've drifted. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer here says, you know, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. I mean, Satan is out to get you. I mean, he wants to wreck your life. 
He wants to wreck your faith. And, and the distractions of life can be so overwhelming. You know, we, we have to pay careful attention. It's easy to drift. And I'm responsible for my life and my faith, and you are responsible for your life and your faith. And it's easy to lose sight, to lose course, to drift from God. And, and drifting from God can be so dangerous. Because when you drift from God, you you risk really wrecking your life. And so I figured, uh, as we would conclude here this morning, that there were a couple of options. Now, it can sometimes be almost an automatic or a routine for me or for us as preachers to come up with, like, the five easy ways to improve your life by tonight. You know, like, I could just give you five things. If you do them on the way home in the car by dinner time, you'll be a different person, you know, because you do these things. I'm, I'm going to try not go to go there. And so... I've come up, I could have come up with five easy ways to improve your relationship with God. And, I, and it would be authentic and valid and all, but I decided to take a little bit of a different direction this morning. And so I'm not going to give you five easy steps back to God because I think there's a portion of this where you're going to have to figure it out yourself. But instead, I want to share with you five things that you can do in your life that will guarantee that you drift from God. And then I'll just allow the Holy Spirit to kind of work in you and you can kind of decide what you need to do with that. And and I'm sure that there aren't many here and hopefully none that want to intentionally drift from God. You know, like you came here today hoping to hear something that would make you mad at God. And you're like, wow, I came on the right day. You know, that's that's what we're going to teach you how to drift from God. But I'm I'm just going to give it to you straight. You want to drift from God? Do these things. Do you want to wreck your life? Do these things. Here are five easy steps to drift. And, and I guarantee you that if you do these things, you will drift from God. We're going to go through kind of quickly. But if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first one is this. Neglect your time with God. You want to drift from God? Neglect your time with God. And this is very foundational. This is a great starting point. Do you want to drift from God? Grow apart from God? Neglect your faith. Neglect your time with him. Psalm chapter 63, verse 1. David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I say, don't buy it, all right? Don't let that be you, all right? Don't fall into that trap. Don't long for God. Neglect him, you know, neglect him with your life. Set him off to the side. What does this look like specifically? Don't read your Bible, all right? Don't read your Bible. Uh, If you want to drift from God, don't read it. And his word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and so stay away from it. Uh, it's useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. So uh, don't have anything to do with it. It's a light to your path. So you don't want that. And it can encourage you and help you in making wise decisions about your life in the future. So uh, if you want to drift, don't read the Bible. All right. Neglect your time with God. Don't apply it to your life. Some of you are like, what kind of church is this? All right. Uh, and don't worship God either. All right. Don't worship God either, especially at church. Just watch and listen to the music. Uh, come in late. You know, don't sing, don't think about God. You know, worshiping means that you're getting to know God better, that you're trusting Him with more. You, you want to glorify Him in all that you do. And so instead, here's a better idea. Develop a very critical attitude and a spirit, you know, when it comes to life or when it comes to worship. I mean, critique everything about your church. Critique everything on Sunday morning. And if you're not being fed spiritually, blame someone else. I mean, so what that toddlers eventually learn to feed themselves? Uh, don't buy that business. You know, you put it on someone else to, uh, to, to nourish you and, and to feed you every day because it doesn't apply to spiritual growth. And don't get involved in church either. And if you come, come late and leave early. Don't try and meet others. I mean, reject what God is saying, you know, and don't get too involved. Don't join a group of people, you know, because you might like it. Don't join a small group. I mean, you might enjoy the people, even the weird ones. 
you know, and don't serve and don't take the chance of God's power working through you if you serve. And finally, by all means, don't pray. Uh, Don't have conversations with God because God hears your prayers and he responds, as it says in Scripture, and he'll encourage you and lift you up. He'll increase your faith. and, And you're trying to avoid that. So don't pray. Don't have conversations with God because you might get to know him and get to know him a little too well. And so neglect God, take him for granted, abuse his grace, put God aside, and drift. Makes me sweaty talking through these. All right. Second one is if you don't like your circumstances, blame God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And that's just plain dumb. All right. You know, don't trust God with all your heart or, you know, I'll tell you what, you'll get it broken. I mean, you know what happens when you trust your heart to anyone else but yourself. It's bound to get broken. And so if you're going to trust God with your heart, trust him with just a little bit of it. You know, and the verses lean not on your, own, on your own understanding. It's a trick. I mean, you are the smartest person on the planet. I'm the smartest person on the planet. So tell yourself that you know best. Don't trust God. Lean on your own understanding so that when things don't go your way, you blame God. When another Christian hurts you, blame God for that. Like that's all of his people and all of his churches. And, and don't buy this stuff about having trouble in the world either. You know, Jesus said in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. You know, but believe if you are a Christian that you won't have troubles. You know, believe that person who lied to you that said if you become a follower of Jesus, you'll be rich. You know, you'll be pain-free. You know, all the problems of life will go away. Don't believe the message about testing and trials, developing character and perseverance either, because that's not true. Believe that if you're a Christian, nothing will ever go wrong and drift. The third thing is hang around bad influences. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, what does bad company do? It corrupts good character, and that's what you want. You know, so hang around some people that pull you down, that bring you down. You know, stay away from Christians because they can be annoying. You know, they might encourage you or pray for you or hold you accountable or something. So just hang around bad influences. You know, spend all of your time hanging around people who are far from God. And I'm not talking about being a witness kind of thing or example kind of thing. Just hang around people who are far from God and get real lazy. Real lazy so that you start compromising your values and doing things that you want to do. It's a great way to drift. You want to drift, do this. Fourth thing, give in to temptation. James chapter 1 verses 14 to 15 says, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now this is good right here. All right, this is a great way to drift. This is what you want. You want to drift and find yourself so far away, God, that you're almost to this point where you're nearing spiritual death. And so whenever you're tempted, just tell yourself, that's just the way I am. That's just the way that I'm wired up, that you can't overcome this. You know, and if it gets a little overwhelming, then just bring God into it. You know, do something that's wrong and just pray about it. Ask for forgiveness and just get into this pattern, you know, where you do it, forgiveness. You do it, forgiveness. And you just keep doing all these things. Just get into this pattern. Make it a routine. And don't feel guilty about it. I mean, it's unfair for anyone or any person or anything to make you feel guilty. And so just rationalize it. I mean, give it a whole new name or a whole new spin or something. Don't call it sin. Just say, you know, it's what everyone's doing. It's just what the kids are doing these days. You know, don't call it lying. Just say, oh, it's just misplaced words, you know, that, that are in the wrong place. Don't call it porn. You know, that's an ugly word. Call it adult entertainment. You know, don't call it embezzling. Just say it's, it's just spreading the wealth around, you know, or something. 
I mean, give in to temptation, do it over and over again, and drift from God. Guaranteed results. Last thing, number five, love this world more than you love God. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, again, not true. You, know, you, just, you take this world and do what you want with it. I mean, if you're a teen or you're in college right now, sow yourself some wild oats, all right? Because the truth is, you know your parents probably did, and everybody goes through that stage or something. So just, just do it right now. You know, just sow you some wild oats. Live it up. You only have once. Everyone does it. And God will still be waiting in heaven. He'll be there to forgive you. You know, fall in love with the pleasures of the world. Believe that you are what you drive. You know, believe that you always need a bigger house. And, and, and if you need stuff, go into debt over it. Just go into massive debt. And don't believe that language about this world being temporary and all and about sending your treasures on up ahead. Don't give generously or anything like that. Just love this world more than you love God. And as you do it, just just drift. You know, that even as a follower of Jesus, just, just learn to fall in love with this world because it, it's a guaranteed drift. And, and as it comes or as you drift, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ and the way that others see you or perceive you, then just fake it. Because how dare we ever think about being authentic when we can put on a disguise and we can choose to fake it and pretend that you are so sold out to Jesus Christ when inwardly you're struggling mightily. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, these words, these very stern words are re- being written to a church. The last half of that verse, God here says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. That you have this reputation for being alive, these people here, but in reality, come on, you're dead. Would this describe any of you this morning? And I'm not saying that it was intentional. I'm not saying you even like it about where you are right now. But gradually and almost without notice, because of a number of different circumstances or choices or whatever it may be, you've drifted from God. And again, you don't like it, but that's where you are. And maybe you haven't, but the temptation will be to, and others might not realize this. I didn't realize when I was working on this message this week that that little portion was going to be really hard for me. <laughs> I mean, I've got a little bit of sarcasm in me, but uh, but it, it, it was it was tough. It was tough to... I wasn't being real, all right? Um, But it was tough to take that tone. But I think probably what hurts more than that is that when it comes to drifting from God, I've been there. It's uh, it's written into the story of my life over and over again. I'm I'm prone, I'm very prone, even as a pastor, to drift from God. And, and I don't like being far from God, but not too long into full-time ministry, and I've been in full-time ministry for about 10 years now. Uh, in my heart and in my life, I really drifted from God. 
And it wasn't intentional. And my drift may be very different than your drift, but for me it was my drift. But again, I didn't set out to drift. It was just kind of gradual. And it really went unnoticed and and it just happened. And how did it happen? Well, it's easy to look back now and I see all sorts of things. I, I like to say it was the demands and the challenges of being in full-time ministry. I mean, I had all these expectations of what it meant to be a pastor. And then reality kind of hit. You know, reality of, of what it means to carry the emotional baggage of others and, and what it means for people to always be taking from you and, and what it's like to plan an event for hoping for 100 people to show up and six, you know, show up. I don't know if you've ever been there before or not, but uh, it's a tough place to be. I'm sure we've all been there in some way or another. Or, or all of the criticism, you know, why are you doing things like this? Why did you say this? Why weren't you here when I called? And all the time away from family and, and it's tiring and it wears. And I was only a couple of years into ministry and I was really asking questions like, how do I get out? I made the wrong choice. You know, I took the wrong turn. I'm heading down the right, wrong path. How, how do I get out of this? And it's easier for me now to look back and to kind of understand the journey or what was going on in my life at that particular time. But I didn't realize it then, but I really started to neglect my time with God. And as a pastor, it's so easy to compromise your personal journey, because God is more concerned about my heart, you know, than what he is, than he's concerned about what I do for you or for this church. My heart comes first with God. I I know that I realize I have to remind myself of that all the time. And it's easy to compromise that. It's easy to say, well, I'm working on this sermon this week. So that counts, you know, I'm got to work in me through that sermon, which he often does. But again, that's a part of the compromise. It's easy to compromise, you know, personal worship. It's easy to compromise time alone with family. And as I drifted and as I became more, you know, as I came drift, I became more and more fake, you know, and I became phony in what I was doing and my tank was empty and I had nothing to give to people. And that's a tough place to land. And I do not enjoy being there and I don't want to go back to such a place. But every once in a while, I, I feel the drift. And sometimes it's through a friend, sometimes it's my wife, but sometimes God just kind of speaks to my heart to help me understand, hey, pal, you're drifting. You need to pick up your raft and walk down the beach and get back on course. And I mean, it's like I am responsible for the quality or the condition of the soil that Jesus was describing for my life. I've got to take care of my heart and the condition of my heart and the practices of my life so that I can better receive the truth, the seed that God is planting in me. Now, for some of you, you're like, you have no idea the junk of my life. You don't know the circumstances of my life. I mean, your, your story is nothing compared to my story. I had a gentleman come up to me after the service. He does landscaping for a living. He reminded me, he says, you know what the best additive is to any soil to make it greater? Compost. What's the secret ingredient of compost? I'll let you fill in the blank. I mean, I, I hope we can find some encouragement in that, that even in the junk of our lives, God can sometimes use that to make a greater soil so we're better and more prepared to receive the work that he wants to do in us. Have you drifted this morning? But the greater question is, do you want to come back? I mean, and maybe for you, it's figuring out, have I neglected time with God? Uh, did, did you forget that God said in this world you will have trouble and, and maybe you've been blaming God, but it's just it's receiving his promises of encouragement 
even for the difficult times? Or are you spending too much time with the wrong people and, and not enough time with life-giving, encouraging people? Are, are you falling in temptation? Is there a pattern of sin in your life right now that you know is not right and you need to find support and accountability and help for healing there? Do you love this world more than you love God? And maybe that's the greatest cause of drift for you right now. I mean, it's easy to drift from God. It's a horrible place to be, a dangerous place to be drifting from God. And as hard as it is to admit, God didn't move. I mean, sometimes life happens. I get lazy, we get lazy, and we drift, but God didn't move. He's always there in the same place. But here's the good news. You can come back. That's the greatest news of our God, that you and I can come back. And that's a big part of who we are as a church. I mean, we talk about all the time about making a decision for Jesus Christ. We are helping you find your way back to God. But for those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's for you and me too, because we are continually tempted to drift. But we have a God and we have a Savior who allows us and continues to invite us to come back. I love the story of the prodigal son. You, you may or may not know the story. Chances are you've probably heard it. The boy who, who drifted, he went walking away from his father and everything that his father had offered to him. And I love what the words say in the book of Luke. When he was the farthest away from home, it says, and then he came to his senses. Maybe the greatest thing that happens in your life this morning is that you come to your senses in this room today and realize, I've drifted and that you will hear, but you can come back. And that renewal and that forgiveness and that repentance can take place right here in this room this morning. I'm going to invite our host team to come forward. As a part of this response time for you, we're going to take communion together today. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, in just a moment as our host team passes uh, the piece of bread and the cup of juice, we invite you to take it. Uh, and, and celebrate with us together uh, in communion. You know, Jesus Christ gave us communion. He gave us this great reminder of his death and his resurrection, this new life, this new love that has been given to every one of us, this reminder that you can come back. But as you take these into your hands, and, and you can take them right now, so feel free to pass them right now, host team. As you take them in your hands, I want to encourage you to hold them because you might not be ready to take them immediately. Maybe there needs to be some sort of reality check between you and God today before you take that piece of bread into your mouth and that juice into your mouth. Or you say, God, I've drifted a long way, but I'm coming back this morning. Thank you for this great reminder. And receive his love. Receive his forgiveness. Be led by the Spirit from this room today, and you go do what you need to do with God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we don't want you to feel odd by not taking a piece of bread and a cup of juice in just a moment. But maybe I might encourage you to just kind of bow your heads during this time and ask this question. What needs to happen in my life for me to trust God, to trust Jesus? What's the missing piece? Would you be willing to believe and trust that maybe God could give you that answer this morning? We'll have a group of people uh, down front after the service today. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you about what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Uh, you take these elements and you take them when you're ready.